Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards with Impact Ministries. I want to welcome you today. You know, uh, I had a conversation with a guy yesterday, very knowledgeable uh, in theology, really, really sharp guy. And so we were just talking about a lot of God things, you know, a lot of, a lot of aspects of, of truth in the New Testament. And so I was telling him, I said, you know what? And it, well, actually, he, 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 he said a few things. He said, now, am I, am I seeing that correctly? Is that, is that really... Am I understanding this right? And I said, well, you're understanding it right. But the problem is we only have the ability to express to each other um, some of the things we see in the Word of God uh, based on the terminology that culture, religious culture, has forced on us. In other words, um, we have limited ways to explain the truth because of religion is really, is really what it boils down to. And, you know, one of the things that we were talking about is I said, you know what, uh, in my new book, Heaven on Earth, uh, it's not going to teach you a lot of new things, but it's going to connect a lot of the dots between the different things that you know and bring them together in one context, one biblical context. And I said, you know, when, if that happens for most people, and, and actually, this I'm, I'm really tying two conversations together here. If that happens for most people, if most people start connecting the dots on all of the random biblical beliefs that they have, if they can connect the dots and bring all of that into the context of, of the new covenant, then so much of our confusion will absolutely go away so much of our faith will suddenly be able to come to fruition because, you know, you can't, you can't really have bold faith if you're, if you're always wondering, now, is, it, is this just right? Am I seeing this just right? Or, or if I'm believing a truth, but I'm believing it in a very limited perspective. And what I've discovered is this. Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our Messiah, Jesus came... And he really brought us the word of God. He didn't preach anything different. He didn't change any truth from the Old Testament. Now, the covenant changed. And, and, I, and I understand that. But Jesus, what Jesus actually did is he took everything that God had taught and had been twisted by religion and put it in a context of the new covenant. And the only way to understand this context, understand what he's talking about is when we understand it within the parameters of the kingdom of God. Now, I know that sounds incredibly, incredibly confusing. So I'm thinking about this. Um, the Bible teaches us that, um, uh, that for example, when, when we get born again, it doesn't say that we enter the kingdom of God. And, and most people, you know, most people equate getting born again with entering the kingdom of God. 
And most people think that the kingdom of heaven is talking about where you go after you die. But listen to this. In, in John 3, 3, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one, unless one or unless someone is born again, they cannot see. And that word see is more about perceive. They cannot perceive the kingdom of God. Now, remember, Jesus' message revealed the kingdom of God, gave us a context wherein uh, you know, wherein we could understand everything that, that God's ever taught us. But if we don't understand, grasp, perceive the kingdom of God and what that means and what Jesus was actually talking about, then the truth is we can never get the word of God in a context that, that provides us consistent understanding, consistent, uh, uh, make it easy to consistently have faith and trust and realize what God's talking about. Now, one of, the things you, one of the things you want to realize, though, is perceiving the kingdom of God is not simply perceiving that there is a kingdom. When we perceive that there is a kingdom and when we perceive that, uh, uh, that Jesus taught us all about how to enter into that kingdom here and now and, and how that would affect us and what that would provide for us, then we realize that perceiving the kingdom is perceiving all of these aspects of what Jesus is talking about. Now, th this is not an intellectual pursuit. This is, not, this is not something that because one guy is smarter than the other guy, he gets it. Uh, because as, as we'll discover as we walk into this, that following God, you know, cooperating with God, yielding to God, uh, surrendering to God, all of that has to do with perceiving what is ours, what's available to us, and how we walk that path to, to participate in it. Now, I'm not talking about dead works. When I'm talking about walking the path, when I'm talking about harmonizing with God, or even when I'm talking about obedience, I'm not talking about legalism. I am not talking about uh, uh, earning something from God. I am saying God has provided a path. He's provided a way of life. He has provided a logic. He has provided a wisdom, if you will, so that we can understand how to take truth and apply it to our lives and, and, and enjoy what Jesus died and gave his life and, and conquered death and hell to make sure that we would be able to partake it. Now, I want you to understand something. From, from, it seems like you know, the church, the early church had, you know, a, maybe a hundred years of, uh, or more, you know, of, uh, uh, of some areas of the church really being sound and this sort of thing. But, but we do know that by, the, by about 300 A.D. or thereabouts, that paganism had totally taken over uh, the church, the corporate church. And that, that corporate paganism dominated the world and brought darkness to the world all in the name of Jesus. And uh, the things that were done, the doctrines that were believed, how the church was structured, how ministry was structured, all of that uh, had no similarity to anything Jesus taught, had no similarity uh, uh, or only vague similarities to that which was even in the Old Testament. And it was not how the church was supposed to function. It was not what the church was supposed to look like. The church ha had a mission, and that mission was really clear. Ministers had a defined mission. You know, it always amazes me that, that the, by and large, uh, 
many ministers have been trained to think it is our job to get people right. And if we'll just get people right, then God can bless them and their lives will be better. Well, number one, you don't get that anywhere in the New Testament. But just stop and think about this. And I've addressed this many times. If, if I think it's my job to get you right, then the problem is I have to first believe that you're wrong. And, and I'm going to start from the place that tells you you're wrong and try to show you what's wrong with you and then try to move you into, into what I consider to be right or to be true righteousness. You know, I've told you this story about how I, how I preached a 10-week series uh, back in the 80s. And there was a pastor here in town, pastor probably the largest church here in town at that time. You know, he, he had over 5,000 members, I'm sure. And, um, uh, and I would have a television program that came on on, on um, Saturday night. And his church services were uh, televised on Sunday morning. And so the entire time that I, that I taught this series, and it was actually the series on dignity and worth. And so the entire time that I taught this series, every Sunday morning, he would preach a message against what I had preached on the previous Saturday night. And um, it, it just boggled my mind. But anyhow, that's what happened. And so at the, at the last, the 10th message in this 10-week series, I finished it up on Saturday night. And the next morning, he made this statement. He said, I have spent these last months attempting to show you how bad you are and how good God is. Let me tell you something. That, that's not good news. That's not gospel. That's not what Jesus did. That is not what Paul the Apostle did. That is not what the New Testament is about. Um, you know, we are people of promise and we are new creations in Christ. You know, we are, we are called, we're priests and kings to walk with and represent God and planets. Now, we may not do, be doing it properly, but the point is, it's, it's about discovering who we are and what we have that gives us the courage and the faith to yield to God and go through transformation and experience this incredible life. So, but from the very, it seems like from the very earliest of times, and, and remember, while the Apostle John was still alive, Gnosticism began to creep into the church to such a degree that, that these Gnostic believers uh, would reject John's message uh, and John's version of the gospel on the basis that they had more revelation than John did. Now, I find that kind of weird that they have more revelation than John did. And John walked with Jesus. He, he, he didn't just know him in his heart. He walked with him. He was taught personally. He was discipled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet they felt like they had reached such a place of spirituality that, that really they knew more than John did. You know what? There's many people teaching that today. There are people teaching today that, you know, that they have the Holy Spirit just like Paul and the writers of the the New Testament had the Holy Spirit and that they, that, that the Holy Spirit can show them things that go beyond what's in the Bible. Well, and the sad thing is they even apply that to Jesus. The same Holy Spirit in Jesus in me. Well, that's true. But Jesus preached the truth and he didn't depart from the truth. And when we, when we think we've got a revelation that goes beyond and is supreme and superior to what Jesus came to teach us, I'm telling you what, 
there is no recovering that person usually. There is no getting them out of the, the death spiral that they are in. But the church has constantly taken truth, twisted it to fit its agenda. Now, I'm not, now remember, there are great churches. When I say the church, I'm talking about kind of the historical, uh, denominational, mainstream church uh, has done this. And uh, there are great pastors in, in every denomination. There are great churches in every denomination. And I'm thankful for that. But as a whole, uh, you have to admit that the majority of the church world tends to interpret and apply truth based on their denominational beliefs, based on their personal preferences, not based on what Jesus told them to do. And one of the places that we see this is one of the very last things that Jesus ever said was, go into all the earth and make disciples, teaching them. You know, in other words, teach them what I taught you so that they can become disciples. Well, the church didn't want to do that because number one, uh, by 300 AD, the church wasn't teaching anything that Jesus taught. And um, so they weren't going to go out there and teach what Jesus taught. As a matter of fact, they weren't interested in, they weren't interested in you converting to following Jesus as Lord. They want you to convert to the church. So instead of going out and making disciples based on what Jesus taught, uh, they made converts to the church. Now keep in mind, one of the ways that converts were made to the church would be, you know, when a, when a particular country that had, had submitted to the spiritual headship of the church, when it would conquer another country, it'd basically line all these pagans up and just say, okay, uh, everybody wants to be a Christian, uh, step, step over here, everybody else, we're going to kill you. And that was kind of their, their version of converting people. And so they would kill the people that wouldn't convert. And then they would take these pagan believers and they would take their pagan uh, beliefs and incorporate them into the church doctrine. And they would take their holidays and make sure that they could keep their holidays. And they would just give them Christian terms. And it had nothing to do with believing on Jesus. It had nothing to do with becoming a disciple. It had nothing to do, you know, with making this journey with God. So uh, it's not our job as believers and as church, by the way, it's not our job to force the world into a, a violent, if you will, submission to the church. It's, that's not our job. Matter of fact, what is our job? What... Um, why, why, did, why did Jesus want to establish the kingdom of God? What, what was that about? Which says, where do I get the answers for that? Where, where do I find the answers for that? Where do I find the answers that, that show me Jesus' real purpose? The big picture, you know, the, where everything that he taught, everything he preached, everything he believed is going to fit into this concept. Well, I'm going to answer that question for you. And I'm going to show you part of why we have, why we have gotten off track. So, like I said, let me just say this. When Jesus came, he came to reveal the true character and nature of God and to bring people into a realm called the kingdom of God. 
or and or the kingdom of heaven, which they are that, they, that those terminologies are used almost uh, uh, synonymously, but they do bring subtle differences uh, to what to what he's talking about, because the kingdom of God tends to represent more about this realm where we are submitted to the king and we become and we get born again and we perceive this kingdom and and uh, and we apply truth the way Jesus taught us to apply truth so that we could function within this kingdom. And the kingdom of heaven tends to uh, uh, seem to end or, or talk more or imply more about the resources that are available to us within this realm. And so you can't have the kingdom of heaven without the kingdom of God. And if you have the kingdom of God, you have the kingdom of heaven. They're not one in the same thing, but they overlap and, and are so woven together that you cannot separate them. So all of God's word only comes to make sense when it is understood in a kingdom context. And... Um, what we need to understand is, it's not our job to force people into the kingdom. It's actually our job to model and proclaim the kingdom. And we, we realize, we begin to realize what, that, what the kingdom is about when we go back and use the law of first reference and we, we go back and understand why God even wanted Israel to establish a kingdom. Now, I'm going to, this starts getting pretty uh, involved. It's simple, but there's a lot of moving parts in seeking to understand this. So, um, I'm just going to share some things about Israel as a kingdom and what that has to do with us. Now, in, in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, is one of the clearest places where we understand that Israel as a kingdom and their entire journey from Egypt to the promised land and to the destruction of Israel, that entire journey is a model that we should look at to understand God's purpose with Israel and understand God's purpose with us and really learn some things. Now, keep in mind, the children of Israel were in the land of Egypt and, uh, and the world was totally dominated by paganism. And by paganism, I'm, I, am, I am talking about every kind of immorality that you can imagine and, and much of it. You know, temple prostitution, temple homosexuality, all of these things were incorporated into pagan worship. Human sacrifices were incorporated into pagan worship. Every vile thing that you can imagine was incorporated into pagan worship because the world had been totally deceived about who God was really through uh, the Nephilim, through the fallen angels that the Bible talks about and how they, uh, how they brought Luciferian doctrine into planet Earth. And so, so God managed to uh, protect Israel in Egypt until they reached a place as a nation where they could survive and where he could, where he could you bring them out. By the way, let me just, let me jump off track here just for a minute. Let's talk about this thing about God protecting you. Uh, we have this idea that God protecting us is, 
I'm going to live by faith so I can, I'm going I'm to live crazy. I'm going to do stupid things. I'm going to violate God's wisdom and God's word. And then, man, when the consequences are about to fall on me or when somebody's out to get retribution because of something I've done, then we're going to cry out to God and believe God for protection. Now, that is just utter foolishness, but that's really what people believe. I mean, I can't tell you how many people, you know, I'll talk to that, they lose a family member to, and maybe that, and I'm not trying to be critical, and I'm not certainly not condemning, but maybe they lose a family member to drug addiction, or maybe they lose a family member in a, uh, uh, in a, who's driving under the influence at 100 miles an hour and has a wreck and kills themselves and kills somebody else, or maybe maybe you have a, maybe you have a child or a loved one that gets killed in a drug transaction, and you know you could just go down the list. And man, I have empathy for people who are in those situations because that's not what God wanted to happen to your children. That's not what God wants you to be going through. But I cannot tell you how many people blame God. I was praying and God did not protect me. I was praying and God did not protect my family. Well, the word help in the Hebrew of the Old Testament, by the way, I, I, I don't know why I feel like I need to get off on track on this. I will. I'm going to, I'm going to follow this and we'll get back on even if it's next week before we can get back on, on this purpose, the purpose that God has for us. But, but I want you to understand, God had to preserve Israel for several hundred years from the pagan world. Uh, I don't even know if when Abraham got to Canaan and God showed him the land that was going to become Israel, I don't even know if, uh, if Israel had been established, you know, early on, if they could have survived outnumbered and surrounded by the most brutal nations in the world that, that, uh, you know, that uh, wanted to eradicate any knowledge of God from the face of the earth. And so God had to preserve Israel for about 400 years uh, in order for there to be a nation of Israel to come about. And, and he had a purpose for that nation. But, but let's, let's go back to this protection thing. So, you know, the Bible says the foolishness of a man, you know, perverts his ways and then in his heart, he, he blames God. So that's what we tend to do, particularly in this area of God's protection. Matter of fact, most people, most Christians that I talk to have come to believe that when tragedy happens and they lose a loved one, it wasn't just passively that God didn't protect this loved one. It's usually God caused this to happen for some vague divine purpose. I am telling you that is such a lie from hell. That is not in the Bible. That is anti-God. That's anti-Scripture. Jesus never killed anybody so that he could teach them some mystical plan of God's. And since Jesus didn't do it, uh, then it's obviously not true. God doesn't even rejoice. The Bible says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He doesn't rejoice in the death of the wicked, much less the death of the righteous. And, and you know, we could go into all kinds of things there, but let's, 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 let me get back on track here. So all through the Bible, you see the word help. And, 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 and the word help, all the places that I have researched the word help, when it would talk about God helping the believers, you know, man, you read through the Psalms, it says, you know, you know, the Lord is our help, you know, and, and he talked about people who rely on chariots and, and, and weapons and war and all that kind of stuff. Well, God is our help. Well, here's something really interesting. The Hebrew word for help, the root Hebrew word for help is spelled A-N-Zane-Resh. Uh, and one of the ways you 
interpret Hebrew words is you have to get the definitions of each letter and bring them into the understanding of that word. Well, the word ayin is like a picture of two, two eyeballs that represents perception. And so one of the ways that God protects us is He sees what we don't see. He brings His perception into a situation. And, you know, uh, like as a husband and wife helping each other, this is how we have each other's back. We see things our spouse doesn't see. My wife sees things I just miss that I, that I, I don't see. But the thing is, we have got to respect, listen, and value that perception, that input. And so when we trust, listen, and value God's perception about something which is all revealed in His written Word, and He'll speak it to you in your own heart if you're willing to listen. But, but whenever we respect God's Word, then the Zayin, which is the next letter of the Zayin, is, is a picture of a sword, and that sword represents God's protection. But you see, God's protection can't be there for you if you do not Observe, respect, value his perception of the situation. And the last letter in the word help is the resh, which is, it looks like a candy cane. And it represents repentance or the changing of the mind and the changing of the direction. So the way God, Zane, brings the sword of the Lord, so to speak, to protect me is when I take, when I trust his perception, listen to it, and change my course, and, and it gets me back on a path where there's safety, back on the path where there's peace. So that's the, the reason the nation of Israel survived was because Abraham tr listened to God. Isaac listened to God. Jacob listened to God. <clears throat> These people listened to God and ended up in, in a powerful pagan kingdom with divine favor because Joseph had gone there and saved the entire country. And that made a way for the nation of Israel to be protected for hundreds of years until God was ready to take them on their journey. Now, if we don't look at Israel as our model of understanding the course of life, then the real truth is we'll never, ever, ever Stay on course. We'll never understand. You know, if you don't understand the big picture, then every individual decision is disconnected from any, any purpose. Therefore, you have total incongruence, inconsistency in your decisions, and therefore you end up making decisions that contradict each other, that conflict each other, and that put you crisscrossing and never get anywhere. And really, that's a type of what happened with the children of Israel that wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, because until they... Tr accept it, trust it, perceive, receive God's perception, then they just wandered around aimlessly because they had no purpose. I got, I got to tell you something. And, and you know, next week we'll, we're going to talk about the divine purpose. But if you don't have your sense of divine purpose, and I'm not talking about what you individually should do, but what God is doing with us corporately, because you can't figure out what you're supposed to do individually until you understand what God's doing with us corporately or as a body. But if we don't understand what God is doing with us as a body, we will, we will wander in the wilderness from, and, and our Christianity will be something that wears us out, that burns us out, that makes us tired, makes us frustrated. And the truth is we'll, we'll never get any, anywhere with our lives and with a purpose. Let me just mention a couple of things to you real quick. Like number one, you know, we always make 
other resources available to you when, when we're going through these series because uh, many of you have the time and the passion. You're saying, you know what, I, I appreciate what I'm getting in these broadcasts, but I want to go a little bit deeper. So be sure and go to impactministries.com, get my book, Heaven on Earthing, get the series that goes along with this. I'm telling you, um, this is going to bring so many pieces of how to have heaven on earth. And that's the goal of this series, how to have heaven on earth. And listen, be sure at the end of this to go to, if you're not watching this on YouTube, go to YouTube, get on my YouTube channel. Be sure and post your comments, your questions, uh, share your thoughts, and, uh, share your testimonies of how this stuff has benefited in your life because this helps other people get encouraged. This helps other people find uh, hope for their lives. So you kind of become a fellow minister with me in this. And also the more comments, the more people that like this page, the more people that uh, subscribe to this, uh, the more people this will get sent to and give them an opportunity to hear this great message. So remember, we're going to follow this thing up next week and I'm telling you, it's going to open up divine destiny to you. So I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com, with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.